Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about King George, no, the other one, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read American Royals by Catherine McGee. Joining us to discuss this YA royal romance are the Bellwether friends, Anna and Aline. Hello. 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 Welcome back to another episode of um, Worst Best Friends. Thank you very much for having us. (laughs) Um, In case you don't know, Bellwether Friends is is not only the kind of friends they are, but also is the name of their podcast, which we also have appeared on because we're podcast friends. Yes. (laughs) Soon to appear, once we get our (laughs) episode edited, will be um, an ABBA fest featuring Renata. That's exactly what we need in these trying times. (laughs) It really is. All right. So American Royals, we read it. We uh, did read it. I, I feel couple... like oh. I liked it more than you guys as a whole. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, like my notes are intentionally nitpicky because that's like what's fun to talk about. It was fine. Like that's my hot take. It was fine. So my uh, hot take is that we listened to it. And when you are listening to a book that is either longer than it needs to be or um, maybe under edited, you can't like get through it as fast as you read. You're like there for the 13 hours for good or ill. Not if you listen to it at 2x speed like I do. Then you're only there for six hours. I, I snuck it up to 1.05. I get really <laughs> squirrely when we speed them up. And so... I am very resistant to that. So, so I'm here to suffer. <laughs> 2x speed. That's amazing. I mean, if you think of it as 1.5 is conversational speed, 2x isn't that much more. It's just people talking very, very fast. Mm, yeah, I get real nervous <laughs> when people are talking that fast, which is ridiculous see, because I talk fast. But there you go. Yeah. It's it's not for me, but um, it, you know, different folks, different strokes, different audiobook speeds. Um, <laughs> one of my biggest problems with the book is simply that Catherine McGee is too close of a name to Catherine McPhee from American Idol and Broadway. <laughs> That's a real problem for me, and I'm sure I'm going to say it wrong at some point. And I don't think that's a common problem, but it's my problem. It's my problem. I'm with you on that problem. Oh, great. I will say I ended up liking the book a lot more than I thought I would after reading the introduction, which made me so mad that I had to yell about it to people at my other book club last night because it colored the book so poorly for me for the first like three hours because I hated it so much and it felt so unnecessary that I couldn't forgive it for quite a bit of time. I guess that's a good invitation to just jump in. I mean, I will say if you're not in the YA world, this maybe hasn't been on your radar, but I will assure you that it is a genuine bestseller. Um, sequels to come, you know, this book is, is a moderate YA hit. And I think part of my problem with it is um, that is the cover. It looks very light and fun. It's sort of, Build as a romance novel that doesn't follow through on that. Yeah, none of the couples end up together at the end. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it really needed to be three separate books. Yeah, she should have done this like in the style of Alyssa Cole and like many other romance novelists where you have you know one book following your one main couple it ends with them getting together and then book two is like the main character i mean in this case main character's sister would get book two and that would follow her romance from start to happy ending and instead this is very chaotic it's like i don't know three to seven romances divided up across three to seven doomed or yeah. um completely unrealistic romances which or, i yeah. was fine with <laughs> I could have understood making B and Sam's romances into one book because that is really more of a triangle-ish. Yeah. Uh, yes. But yeah, it's so so if you are not familiar with it, the book starts off with the worst, most winky, annoying introduction <laughs> in the whole of literature, which is like you all know from your history courses that George Washington was the first king of America and he was crowned after the after the Battle of Yorktown when everyone fell to their knees and begged him to be the first king and that like the royal family has lived in Mount Vernon ever since and that and like lays out this alternate history in that kind of tone along with like winks to like maybe he would have decided that he didn't want to be a monarch and instead we would have uh, relied on some sort of electoral system where ha -ha. we would elect a prime minister or maybe a funny made-up word like president wouldn't that be wild but we all know that it doesn't work like that and all of that information is imparted in the first chapter within the narrative. And my friend Jesse, when I was complaining about this to him last night, brought up that it sounds like an editor said, no one will get this. You need to add an introduction to explain the history. Yep. yep. Because the tone doesn't fit the rest of the book. The voice doesn't fit the rest of the book. And all of this information is very neatly imparted in the first couple chapters and I was just so incandescently angry about this introduction that I carried it with me for hours. <laughs> it really didn't bother me. That I mean, I think partly because it was short. Like, it was, it was like a page and a half. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, this is unnecessary. But I wasn't, I wasn't mad at that. I was mad at other stuff. <laughs> I think the tone did set me up to be confused as heck throughout the book because it's not as floofy as that was. Yes. Um, so the book starts with, um, we're, we're, we've met Beatrice. She is the, uh, the next in line for the throne due to the fact that her grandfather, who was, you know, two kings ago, her father is the current king, abolished the rule that only boys could be king and that the monarch could be the firstborn child regardless of gender. Um, and but still in place is this ridiculous rule that if a king marries or if a perspective, what, what's the word for the next in line for the throne? There's a word for it. The, the heir? The heir? The, heir. the princess if, royal? I don't know. <laughs> if the heir marries a commoner, they're like cast out forever, which seems silly. Inefficient, uh, for sure. Yeah, Especially when you've already gotten rid of that other old-fashioned rule. Yes, precisely. And especially like, when, like, royal inbreeding is such a historical problem that is never once mentioned in this book. Although they did 
make a passing reference to the Habsburgs, which made me laugh hysterically because it was in the conversation about intermarrying. (laughs) So we have Beatrice. She is next in line for the throne. She has spent her entire life being perfect. She has never had boyfriends. She never steps a toe out of line. She just finished up going to Harvard and completing an education that would be complimentary to her being a queen in the near future. Um, it, she basically, I mean, you all probably know like fucking any princessy or royal adjacent movie, like you know how it goes. She has done all the things right. She is perfect. She has two siblings who are twins, uh, Samantha, who is older by four minutes, and Jefferson, uh, who is the only boy. And they are allowed to be a little rowdier because they are the spares, obviously. Um, and they are just getting back from a gap year that they spent tooling around the world, having fun. After high uh, school. After high school. The other main characters are Nina, who has been, she's a commoner who has been Sam's best friend since they were little kids and used to do everything with the royal family. Um, she's a Sam's- commoner, but one of her moms is the, what, Secretary of Treasury? Right. Minister yes. of Treasury? Was the former Chamberlain or Chamberlain, yeah. Yeah. Um, So when her mother was interviewing at the palace the first time, she took Nina along and that is how she met the princess. And the princess immediately was like, we're best friends now. You have to come hang out all the time. Um, And the fourth protagonist, it's from all the girls' points of view, is Daphne, who is... Uh, Jefferson's ex-girlfriend, who he broke up with uh, right after his high school graduation party, and she thinks she is trying to get him back. Like she has been planning her entire life to be a princess. All she has ever wanted was a crown. She has worked her relationship with Jefferson like up to a point where she felt she was guaranteed they were together for three years and then he dumped her. And now her only goal is to get back in his good graces and be his girlfriend again so that she can one day be a princess or fucking whatever she would be. Yes. And it's married to the prince. And in Daphne's part of the narrative uh, immediately it's sprinkled with these references to like the terrible thing that happened at the night of Jefferson's graduation and like, it's this dumb secret that she's keeping from herself in the narrative in a way that's so irritating because it is from her point of view and like she knows what it was, but she refuses to name it until 85% of the way through the book. I think it's like the the second to last chapter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we open the book with uh, Beatrice being told that she is going to need to get married soon. Uh, she thinks that this is like wildly, you know, she's only 21. There's lots of time left. She has other things she wants to do. But her parents, they're having one of their like big yearly balls. And they have presented her with a list of 12 eligible bachelors that they have uh, signed off on who will be attending the ball in order to meet her so that she can decide which one is going to be her future husband. Hey, hey, remember when I read the selection? Why didn't they just do the selection? (laughs) (laughs) 
meanwhile, Nina has been invited. She's at college now. Uh, no one at college knows that she is so close to the royal family because her mom's made it like a strong point to like raise her to be level headed. Seems like to- bullshit to me, but okay. Well, and, and get- she didn't want like she wanted to be treated normally or whatever. Yeah. Um, so she, none of her friends at school knows, know that her best friend is the princess and they are inviting her to a viewing party to like watch, you know, like the red carpet of this party. Uh, and she has to work, but then Samantha texts her and says like you have, or shows up at her school and says like, you have to come to the party. So she like sneaks off to be with Samantha and go, Samantha and go to this party. And at this point we, it's either heavily implied or we actually learn that she and Jefferson uh, made out at that graduation party. They hooked up, they didn't have sex, but they fooled around and she's been in love with him for a very long time. But then he left the next day for their like world tour and they have not spoken about it since. At this point, I would like to interject that Nina's student job is in the library. Yeah, and, it is. And um, the librarians among us have some quibbles with the portrayal of her work in the library. <laughs> this is a yes. minor point, but also maybe the most important point. So at the party, we learn as Beatrice is getting prepared for the party, uh, she calls in her like Secret Service guy. They had a different name in the book. It's the Revere Guard. Yes. Uh, She calls him in to like help her get ready. And it is very clearly implied that they are in love, even though they have not admitted it to themselves or each other yet. Uh, And here she is like about to go meet like her future spouse. At the party, Sam... Uh, meets up with this duke from boston and they're chatting and they get along really well and she's samantha is really mad at their parents because they kind of treat her like crap jefferson being the only boy like gets away with everything but anytime she steps out of line her parents lecture her about how like she's a has to behave better and you know be more like the perfect young lady that she is expected to be um be more like b Yes, be more like B. Uh, and so because she is angry about this, she pulls this guy off. And they are getting on real well. Um, but she pulls him to the closet and they make out when they're supposed to be at this like big special event that's going on. Um, and from here, and his name is Teddy. And from here, I feel like it makes the most sense to go down each character's storyline one at a time yeah. instead of trying to go in chronological order. Agree. Yes. Um, so if we start with B and Samantha at the event, B, the only one of the eligible, eligible bachelors that B gets on with ends up being Teddy. Uh, she doesn't have any feelings for him. It's clear he doesn't have any feelings for her. But she like, finds no romantic him- feelings. But they like click. She's like, "What a cool bro!" Like he's the only one who actually asked about me instead of just talking about himself. Like, you know, all right, a tolerable bro, right? A personable yeah. Kennedy figure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, they seem to get on well, and of course, this is the dude that Sam had been making out with and really, really liked, and he really, really liked her, and. Um, Sam does not yet realize that the reason that 
he was there. He didn't even realize at this point the reason that he was there was to meet Beatrice so that she could pick her future spouse. And I thought he did know. Yeah, his parents talked to him because, but not until after he met Sam. Right. Well, when he he tell well he tells her later like when when we first met and we were getting on. I didn't realize that, like, this is why I was here. And then I was told this is why I was here. Mm, Okay. So Sam is really annoyed at Beatrice because, you know, here's this boy that she likes and Beatrice who can have anyone theoretically when, you know, obviously she can only have one of these 12 boys, Mm -hmm. (laughs) apparently, um, has chosen him instead. And he's invited on, like, all of these family trips so that they can be seen going out together Uh, And what Sam doesn't know is that the king has stage four lung cancer and is going to die soon. And he wants to make sure that Beatrice is wed before then so that when she ascends the throne, she has a king consort because even though she will be the first queen, lots of people are still sexist. So he wants to make sure there's also a man there. Yeah. Ah, Thanks, dad. So that that's a whole thing um, that Beatrice eventually admits to Samantha after Sam kind of gives her the cold shoulder for a while. They haven't been as close as they used to be, uh, but finally says to Sam, like, this is why I'm with him. I have to be with someone and he's the nicest one. And Teddy also says to her, like, I didn't know that this was why I was here when I met you or else, you know, I, I would not have made out with you and had such a good time with you if I knew that I was here to perform this duty eventually. Uh, So they have this sort of like uneasy acceptance that like they need to be in a relationship. It's no one's fault. It sucks for everyone. Sam is upset about it, but she's not mad at either of them anymore. Meanwhile, B is in love with her bodyguard, Connor. Of course she is. Which by the way, I'm obviously not a security expert, but it does seem weird that she would only have one guard. Like, aren't they usually kind of in pairs? I think, I yeah, mean, or they have different shifts. Yeah. I can't speak for real life. I will say that on the West Wing, um, <laughs> Zoe Bartlett was assigned one, like, full-time Secret Service person. Well, and there look were what other happened to her. Who were, <laughs> who were there in shifts, but there was one Secret Service person who was her 24-7, always there, even when the other secret service people like lived in the dorm next to hers went everywhere with her. Mm. Well, yeah. What, what well. Kate is describing is what I am drawing from some of my other fiction reading, which we may touch on later. And also my very attentive listening of becoming by Michelle Obama. <laughs> okay. Okay. I rescind my complaint. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how closely the West Wing ever reflected real life, but no, but no I do. That is <laughs> that is what I kept thinking of as I was listening to this was Zoe at Georgetown, with and the part where this Charlie's real mad about the fact that she has to keep canceling plans, and uh, her Secret Service agent is like, "Hey, like I my favorite days are the days that she stays in her dorm and watches movies, and then he shows up at her dorm with videos." yeah so she's in love with connor who seems like a i guess fine dude we don't really know a lot about her except that a lot about him except that that would be so much better (laughs) he is sarcastic and listens in her lectures that he has to go to with her and likes her 
but she can't be with him because he's a commoner. And then like they start, they get stranded. My One of my favorite tropes, they get stranded <laughs> in a snowstorm mm-hmm. in a little cabin and they have to stay there together. And there's only one bed. And <laughs> yeah, the parts of this book I like the best were the parts where it just like leaned into delicious tropes like that. And so I like I have no complaints about any of that. I was like, yes, give it to me. But they didn't have sex. Yeah, well, it's, <sighs> it's, it's a way. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, so that's kind of what's going on with Beatrice is that she is in love with Connor. He is mad that she's engaged to Teddy, even though she has made it clear that it is only for like reasons of the state and not because she has feelings for him. And he proposes to her as well in secret after and she wishes she could accept it but she can't um so he runs away and gets a different posting but then comes back at her engagement party to say like hey that was hasty of me if this is the only way i can have you then like then we'll do this we're like i'm your sec- your dirty secret all the time i can do that it's fine i'll do anything to be with you and she decides that she can't go through with the wedding she has to call it off and follow her heart so after the engagement party she goes to tell her father who is so upset by this news that she wants to do this that he has a a heart attack (laughs) Mm -hmm. sorry heart attacks are terrible i don't mean to laugh but literally he's (laughs) he's so upset that she uh wants to break off her engagement to marry a commoner that he has a heart attack and is rushed to the hospital where of course he tragically dies making her the queen before she can officially call off this engagement and be with the person she likes and by the way his dying words are like beatrice like teddy connor and then he just like trails off and then that's the last word he says to her is like their names but not completing the thought about them (laughs) so that's sam and no that's yeah that's b b um sam you get most of her story her romance story from that as well that she's into teddy uh she and teddy make out at a party a New Year's Eve party when Beatrice is the well Beatrice is stuck overnight with Connor in their cabin with only one bed. Uh Teddy and Sam make out in the hot tub and uh it is understood between the two of them that if things were different they could be together, but also Teddy's family is losing all of their fortune. And this is kind of like the last chance for him to save his family is to marry Beatrice. So like he also kind of has to do it, which she she understands but is not happy about. And she's very excited when Beatrice tells her that they're going to call off the engagement. And then obviously it doesn't happen because the father dies. Then we have Nina and Jefferson. Jefferson tells Nina he wants to try to have like an actual relationship with her. And she says, okay, but like we have to do it in secret. So they don't even tell Sam or any of their friends. They just kind of sneak off to be together. And during this all happening, Daphne, who is Jefferson's ex, 
By the way, I would also like to interject that everyone calls him Jeff except for Daphne because Daphne is like, Jeff Jeff is not a good name for a prince. Like, you need to take this seriously and go by your whole name of Jefferson. And and I think that's supposed to make her seem sort of unlikable, but I'm like... I'm for it. Yeah, I'm like, no, she's right. Jeff is a... Like, you can't be Prince Jeff. Come on. (laughs) Dumb. But to everyone else in the book, he is, in fact, Prince Jeff, which is whatever. (laughs) choice you can make <laughs> okay <laughs> i think it's I, a choice i would make if my name were jefferson but if you were the prince though i mean like probably i'd put like you know even now like i put caitlin on all of my work documents but no one calls me that but everyone calls him that's what i'm saying is everyone uh, well n- no i'm saying backwards whatever you're, you're, saying- you're not a prince <laughs> you're not a prince though that's all <laughs> ouch so uh daphne leaks photos to the press that of uh nina and jeff jefferson kissing Mm. Uh, (laughs) and everyone goes crazy like paparazzi you're showing up at her dorm uh she's being hounded in the press like all these unflattering pictures of her being posted everyone is very uh, unflatteringly comparing her to Daphne, who was like a perfect noble woman and like worked really hard to look like royal material, whereas Nina like eats hot dogs and wears yoga pants. Oh, and- she goes to Wawa. Ah, <laughs> yes, there's a lot of Wawa in this book. That was our my favorite part. Happy, right? Yeah, yeah made us pretty book happy. Brought too. to us by Wawa. I think it might have been. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they have to go public with their relationship, and Nina's, like, kind of okay with that. She and Sam get into a fight about it because she hadn't told Sam, and then when Sam finally ignored, like, her leave-me-alone texts, I need time to compress, and showed up at um, Nina's dorm, she also, like, wanted to vent about her, like, issues with Teddy, and Nina was like, all you ever care about is, like, using me to vent all of your feelings, and, like, you've always treated me differently, and, like, it's kind of, like, the implication is, like, it's half truth and half lie. Like, it's her venting her insecurities about being this, like, commoner among the royals, and also some of it is stuff that Sam actually did to her, and some of it is stuff that is kind of overblown. Yeah. But they have a brief friends breakup uh, and then make up and get back friends back together right before. Well, not not that long, actually, after after it. No, it is right before right before this engagement party that they are having for B and Teddy. And Daphne has spent this entire time trying to undermine Nina's relationship with uh jefferson by scheming with his best friend ethan who is secretly in love with her well not so secretly in love with her who she slept with yeah not secretly to nina i think maybe secretly to jefferson jefferson's not the brightest bulb no yes bless him and daphne like sabotages the dress that Nina was going to wear to this party by like calling the shop and pretending to be her and having it the order canceled. 
and all of this other stuff. And then eventually during this party, she confronts her in the bathroom and is like, yeah, like I am fucking with you. I have done all of these terrible things to undermine your relationship and I'm going to keep doing them because I've planned my entire life to be his girlfriend. And you just kind of swanned into it as a poor person, despite the fact that I've worked really hard and you don't even care. And when she goes to tell Jefferson about this, Jefferson's like, oh, Daphne seemed real nice. I don't think she would do that. <laughs> like, we're, we're friends now, yeah. you guys. So they break up. And we find out that uh, Daphne's friend has been in a coma this entire time. And it happened at the graduation party. And we discover that the reason why is because she saw Daphne sleeping with Jefferson's best friend, Ethan, and was going to tell him. So they decided to get her drunk so that it whatever she said, they could like blow off and be like, oh, she was just drunk. She didn't know what she was talking about, but she doesn't drink. So they decide to roofie her instead. By the way, they Daphne decided this and Ethan was like, that's kind of too far. And she's like, oh, you're right. But then she did it anyway. Right, yes. and Ethan is still totally into her, so. Yeah, yes. Ethan's, like, not willing to co-sign her schemes, but he is, like, into the schemer. Um, so that's pretty much the book. Okay, here's something I want to say. Her friend is in a coma. Her name is Hamari Mariko, and Mariko is the family last name, and they're, like, some kind of Japanese royal family something. Um... But I, from reading X-Men, was like, isn't Mariko a first name? Like, why is this their family last name? And then I was like, I don't know, maybe X-Men got it wrong. And then I went on this name dive, and they're both first names. Both Hamari and Mariko are traditionally Japanese first names. Um, That's all I want to say about Hamari. I also noticed that. Um, Also, so this that is the secret. You know, that's the terrible thing that throughout this Daphne keeps being like oh but if Jefferson never found out about the terrible thing that happened like it's that and I because she's such a schemer I was fully prepared for it to be like she pushed her down the stairs yeah yeah that would have been more interesting honestly yeah. um it's it's a slightly hands-off bit of compared to what I had built it up in my mind anyway it's still bad obviously I- I would say the one other vaguely relevant plot thread that we didn't touch on before we dive into actual discussion of the book is that it it starts about halfway through, it starts to be implied that, gosh, things would be easier if Samantha were going to be crowned queen, because then she could marry this noble person that she wants to marry, and Beatrice could marry this common person that she wants to marry, yeah, I definitely think that's going to happen. Uh, and it's there. There's like one point even. It, it, it's very. It's very clearly telegraphed. Yeah, because it's also like another sort of subplot is that um, Sam can't figure out what she wants to do with her life, and like none of these other jobs. Like she's just not interested in figuring out her major or whatever. Like, oh, maybe if she could just be queen, that would be a life calling for her. So this is my main. I have two main issues with the book, and one of them is that, like, it's always the most obvious choice, really. Like, she's in love with her bodyguard. Okay, like, yeah, fine. You know, her sister thinks that she is 
has a perfect life, but then she realizes she doesn't. Yep, okay. Like, there was nothing other than the fact that the book ended and there was no resolution to anything. <laughs> there was nothing surprising about anything. Their dad seems to be looking older and frailer. Oh, he's dying. Mm-hmm. Um, which is my other main gripe, because... I'm not here for parents dying of cancer. I did that. I'm fine. I'm set. <laughs> yeah, and that it's not heralded at all by the uh, by the description by really. the description or the um, the book. Yeah, I mean we catch on early enough. Well, it's easy to catch on because everything is like this is going to happen. You guys just wait two hundred pages. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I read a lot of, like, YA stuff. I don't always, um, I don't mind if things are, like, tropey and predictable. Like, A, because a lot of them are fun. Not the cancer dad, but, like, a lot of the tropes are fun. Yes. And, you know, for a teen reader, it's maybe not always as obvious because they haven't read as many other books as as I have. Brag. Agreed. Um, but the structure of it is so much, is it, I mean, like I said before, I think we all kind of agree that this could be better divided in a way that would be more satisfying for all character arcs. Um, And all ages of reader. (laughs) I think also that, you know, there's been a lot of royal romance. I mean, A, always, but B, especially in the last few years, a lot of stuff that's like pretty clearly based on Prince William, Prince Harry. And I feel like she was kind of like, oh, but what if instead I could do, you know, American romance, and that's how I'll set it apart. And then I don't think thought too much about all the implications of an American royal family. Right. And occasionally there's, like, really interesting, like, things sprinkled in where, and for the longest time it doesn't really... Okay, here's actually, here's my discussion question. Did the Civil War happen in this universe? Like, we know that slavery I'm did end eventually, no. but, right? Yeah, I'm thinking a war didn't happen because I'm trying to remember how she phrases it, but when they're talking about slavery, like, they say something like, oh, like Washington, the first, King George the first, Washington, King George Washington the first. That's what I'm talking about when I say King George the first. Yep. Obviously like he knew slavery was bad because he freed all his slaves upon his death but like no one in our family had the balls to actually decree slavery illegal until two generations later yeah which makes it feel like oh well the king said it so then we stopped unless like and then it caused a war but who knows yeah, I would like it to have been more, like, processy about that kind of stuff. Like, they mention, you know, Native American dukedoms and, like, um, you've got the, you know, the Kennedy royals up in in our neck of the woods. Or the Dukes of Boston. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, I wanted to know more about, like, how how did we get here from there right. honestly could have used a longer introduction explaining <laughs> this stuff um, uh, because that thing, stuff was interesting yeah and with the with the native american um duchies so you say it um they he briefly mentions that like and it was thanks to the lobbying from red fox james 
And I had not heard that name before, so I Googled to see if he was a real person. And he was. He was a real um, Native American activist who was, like, instrumental in um, the having... Um, he is okay. I'm just reading now. He's best known for riding over 4,000 miles on horseback from state to state, seeking approval for a day to honor Native Americans. Um, and he was a Boy Scout. <laughs> anyway, so he was like a real activist. And they're like, yeah. So in this world, this is what he did. Um. So basically, I, I mean, that was a little bit interesting. But again, that was literally one line of mentioning this guy's name, and then I read that guy's Wikipedia page, and I was like, that's cool. Do we yeah. have any characters of color other than, I guess, Nina. the one in the coma? Oh, right. Nina Nina is Latinx. Nina has two moms. And she has two moms. Yeah, she Nina's has to have like, all of the diversity in one it's character. It's all in Nina. Yeah. What Was and, Ethan two or did I make that up? Oh, yeah. I think Ethan, or at least I think he had an Asian last name. Okay. I don't think we got like, a solid description of him. I so as always I would I want I wanted it to be more gay like um, I didn't expect it to be red white and royal blue but I would have liked one of the main characters to like at least be bisexual maybe <laughs> I guess yeah. there's a sequel it could still happen yeah it could still happen it's, um you know yeah. yeah there were I I guess I guess my my point of view on it has been like none of the things I don't disagree with any of the things you were saying I think the reason why I felt like I based on our notes in the document felt like I had a more positive view of it was I wasn't expecting it to be that good so when it met my expectations I was like this is fine yeah I guess no it's fine like it did I said it before I'll say it again it's fine it's perfectly fine except I do have a linguistic beef (laughs) There is no noun nor verb that goes unmodified through this entire book. Every noun has a preceding adjective and every verb has a succeeding adverb and it's exhausting. Yeah, it's very wordy for sure. But yeah, I feel like I feel like it could have been better served by being cut into separate books that followed the characters more closely and not didn't end on a weird cliffhanger it would have been interesting to see more world building but i feel like this is the sort of thing where like it has to it has to choose if it's going to be like a character focused romance or it's going to be like digging deeper into the alternate history right 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 yeah so it almost would have made more sense if it took place in like a made-up country's yeah, like mm, like true. Alyssa Cole. I agree, but that to me is the problem with it. Is like, oh, you're just sort of like throwing out all this history to create your own set dressing, but then it's like you are in the background making some very casual, like, choices that affect huge parts of history. And there's sort of the assumption that like it sounds like almost every other country still has royalty, and it's really throwing out a lot of like revolutions, a lot of. Um, just a lot of things and again i get that it's not that kind of book but then then why is it in america like what are we doing here yeah i mean that, I, like that's pretty much my thought like either commit to it or put it somewhere fake i was so relieved when she did address slavery question <laughs> but it was a it was like halfway through the book oh we don't have slavery anymore oh that's good 
Good right. job. Had to get past that. <laughs> um, a couple of things that were um, bothering me in the sort of logistical thing. There were a couple of references to incorrect forms of address. <laughs> and while Americans don't know shit about forms of address... If they were living in a monarchy, there is no way they would address the heir to the throne incorrectly. It would be something that was just part of the collective knowledge of the nation. Yeah, that seems right. I felt like there were a couple of instances where the re the reader could have been drawing things. Like, I have an understanding of monarchy from a long history of reading England set romances. And I think that as a teen novelist, it is incumbent upon <laughs> the writer to sort of lay the foundation for that. Maybe this is one of the first books that someone is reading about a monarchy. And there are some things that are so wrong, poor young readers following reading this might pick up a Georgette hair and be confused. <laughs> That's irresponsible. Just <laughs> irresponsible. It is irresponsible. <laughs> um, the other major bone I had was that we have a villain figure, Daphne, and um, she is the one who is sex sexually active. Um, the other characters like make out with people, but they don't actually have sex. Yes. And I mean, I agree with like B's argument of like, I'm so closely monitored, like I can't, you know, deal with the scandal. Like, okay, okay. But like the other characters. Right. And, um, you know, Jefferson and the others drink a lot. Like it's, it's, their drinking is referenced, but like they, they're, he was with Daphne for three years and they were very chaste apparently while he was going on benders. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's very practical. But yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was fine. I, I honestly might read the sequel because I am sort of curious if I know what happens to these characters, but I Definitely. might also just read the Wikipedia, um, to get the bullet points of what happened to them without all of this prose in my face. Yeah. If you find that, let me know. Cause I'm also curious. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't come out until September. I think the sequel. Okay. But... Is this a trilogy? I feel I don't know that it's announced as a trilogy, but it okay. it seems like there's so much to wrap up. Right, it could run on to three books oh, or good more. Lord. <laughs> it is it is a giant mess, <laughs> and there does need there's to be a lot some that could extraction. Yeah, like it. Hamari can wake up, and Beatrice can like try to change the law about commoners and get out of her engagement. Yeah. Yeah, I was expecting Hamari to wake up in this book, and um, she didn't. Well, she did squeeze Daphne's hand yeah, a little bit. For which... But she didn't wake up and be like, this bitch. J'accuse! <laughs> what if in book two, Daphne just become, like, becomes a stone-cold murderer? She's like, oh, it seemed like she's gonna wake up, so I'm just, I'm just gonna, like, pull the plug. Bye. Okay. I, I would be interested in, in Daphne's descent into further villainy. Like, I kind of would be interested if she never gets a redemption arc and just goes fully off the rails. But that's me. Me and my reading tastes. <laughs> I don't know. Do does anyone have... else have anything to add before we move on to dramatic readings? Mm, 
Nope, I thought it nope. was fine. It was fine. There were a couple of times where I was shouting a phrase after it was read or going a little wild, but I think I have covered most of my big beefs. I will read my favorite quote uh, once I find it. She's not rude. She's just French. If you wanted to be coddled, you should have worked at the Swedish embassy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. And yeah. Daphne's hair is described as paprika curls. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's what our country deserves. Paprika curls? <laughs> yeah, and it's royal and it's royal figure. That was Daphne's hair, though. <laughs> well, that's why, that's part of her case for why she should be the, That's true, the that's future. true. She should totally, yeah. so, Samantha and Beatrice should step down, Jefferson should inherit, and Daphne will be our new queen. And she'll run the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That That's my American Royals fan fiction, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Anna and Aline have our first dramatic reading if they want to lead us off. Okay, we are pretty early in the book. Um, It's very dramatic, dramatic reading. Um, It's what the people want. So Connor and Beatrice are arguing about um, their relationship or their non-relationship. And Aline is going to play the very small part of Connor, and I will play the, the the main thing about this book that is that it's mostly internal monologue, and not <laughs> dialogue. So it's mostly an internal monologue where stuff happens. Um, so we're going to start off with a roar sounded through the palace, an explosion maybe, or a blast. Connor leapt forward fast as a liquid shadow. Before Beatrice had even fully registered the sound, he pulled her back toward the wall, then whirled around, keeping her safely behind him. In the same fluid motion, he slid a gun from its holster. His eyes darted from the door to the hallway, back toward the windows, assessing the likelihood of a threat from any direction. But he didn't check the ceiling. He had run to her with impossible speed, and now he stood before her with preternatural stillness, the sort of bone-deep stillness that clearly resulted from years... (laughs) of training stop laughing Beatrice's heart raced she was hyper aware of every place their bodies touched from her legs up to her chest which was pressed against Connor's back his uniform was scratchy against her cheek she could feel the rapid rise and fall of his breath smell the spiciness of his soap the warmth of his body seemed to burn through her dress to scorch her very skin the oath of the revere guard echoed in her mind I am the lantern of honor and truth, the light against the darkness, in life and limb, to live or die. I swear to guard this realm and its crown, to live or die. Connor had literally sworn to protect her with his very breath. Beatrice had known this, but it was another thing entirely, to see him fling his body in front of hers as a living shield. To know that he would fight for her if it came to it, she felt oddly humbled. It felt like an eternity passed before a voice crackled over the palace's intercom system. False alarm, everyone! One of the fireworks accidentally went off on the south portico. Connor turned, placing his hands on Beatrice's bare shoulders to steady her. They were the hard palms of a man used to physical exertion. A man who lifted weights and held a rifle and was no stranger to the boxing ring. 
His face was alight with something, alertness and concern, and something else that radiated from him like heat. B, are you okay? Her throat felt very dry. She managed a nod. Seemingly satisfied, Connor stepped away, holstering his weapon. In all the excitement, the collar of his suit had shifted, and there it was again, the edge of that tattoo. It hinted at the real Connor, the private body that he kept hidden beneath weapons and uniforms. The palace was probably full of voices and running footsteps. It should have been, after a security scare like that. Beatrice heard none of it. The rest of the world seemed to have receded to nothing. She stepped forward and lifted her mouth to his. Her good sense must have momentarily fled her body, because she acted entirely without thinking, but all of her senses came rushing back as their lips touched. The utter rightness of that kiss struck her deep in her core. Connor broke away and stumbled back. Something, maybe his lantern pin, had snagged on her ivory sash, ripping it from her shoulder as he stepped away. It fluttered to the floor like a white flag of surrender. Oh, God. What had she done? <sighs> I think that kind of sums up a lot of the writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. The purplest of prose. The purplest of prose. The, um, the enthusiastic embrace of tropes yes. and cliches. Yep. For a seasoned reader of romance. Mm-hmm. I'm so interested in the trend for YA books to be so horny for tattoos. When like, I don't know, teens can't get tattoos. It's, it's not only this book. I've definitely, I mean, Divergent, of course, the, the tattoo horniest of them all. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess you're about to turn 18. You're thinking about what tattoos you could get, I guess. Speaking as a 30-something with no tattoos, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I will say, I remember being in high school and that it was a very frequent topic of conversation amongst my friends. When you are old enough to get a tattoo, what will your tattoo be of? I was friends exclusively with Goody Two-Shoes. We did not discuss this. (laughs) I mean, I, I really was too. Like, I only had nerd friends and theater friends. But it was a, like, oh, well, when when you're old enough, like, what would your tattoo be of? So who knows? Maybe it's a regional thing. I was already over 18 when tattoos entered the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed that. When I moved to Massachusetts, it was still illegal to get, like, tattooed outside of certain parameters. So there you go. Interesting. Generational differences are us. <laughs> The point is, Connor has a tattoo, and it's real sexy. It's super sexy. It makes you forget what you're doing. But it's, like, on his neck, which... But it's on his collarbone. You, like... It, like, so peeks you... up from his shirt. Yeah. Sexy. You only see it once in a while when you have, like, it's gonna be. It's coat. gotta be places where it would be extremely painful to be tattooed because he's so tough. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> And he has hard hands. He does have the hardest hands. He needs a lotion stat. <laughs> Which, by the way, most... I mean, I guess he does lift weight and do training, but mostly he, like, goes to class with her. He's not, like, a manual laborer. Right. <laughs> right, and he's interested in art. He's got sandpaper that he uses. <laughs> Just to buff up his hands. When, when she's asleep, he's sanding his palms. <laughs> All right. The only trope that was missed in that description is that he smelled like man. Mm. <laughs> he probably does, though. It's implied, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, 
let's move away from the sexiness of tattoos and into the horrors of slavery. <laughs> and um, in this reading, Kate will be Beatrice and I will be King Dad. You think your predecessors never made mistakes? Of course they did. Our nation's history is woven from their errors and judgment, their wrong decisions, as much as it is from their achievements. Beatrice followed her father's gaze to the portrait of King George I that hung above the fireplace. She knew precisely what her dad was talking about because it was something she had discussed, they had discussed before, the horror of slavery. George I had known that slavery was wrong. He had freed all his own slaves upon his death. Perhaps if he'd listened to his conscience instead of to the Southern congressmen, he would have abolished the institution altogether. Instead, that hadn't happened for another two generations. I wish I could tell you that becoming the monarch will give you infallible judgment. If it did, maybe America would have a history I felt unequivocally proud to represent. But unfortunately, this is the history we've got. Beatrice had never quite thought of that part of the job. That as the living symbol of America, she would be the inheritor of the nation's legacy, the bad as well as the good. I wish we could erase all those, those atrocities, she stammered and was surprised by her father's reply. Never say that. Say you want to make things right to build a better future. But erasing the past, or worse, trying to rewrite it, is the tool of despots. Only by engaging with the past can we avoid repeating it. Beatrice remembered something her history tutor used to say. A good queen learns from her mistakes, but a great one learns from the mistakes of others. So I think that's an interesting conversation that is never revisited or (laughs) given any further depth. Yeah, maybe, in the de- maybe in the sequel. <laughs> I feel like it definitely, if they had split it up, it would have been like such an interesting background to give her story, but there's just not room for it with everything else going on all at once. Mm-hmm. All right. And we'll toss it back to the Bellwether friends for our last dramatic reading. Okay. I just had a thought that this would be it's kind of set up like a like a CW show where you just have this whole cast of characters and something has to happen with each of the characters every episode. Yeah, and by the way, I would watch that. Yeah, I would totally watch that. <laughs> would watch. All right, so and this reading comes toward the end of the book and it's something that made us both giggle and we it kind of summed some stuff up for But this is the world-building stuff I like. Yeah, this is it. So, Sam wasn't hungry, but she needed to do something with her hands. As long as she kept moving, she could scare away the dark thoughts, which were like shadows, multiplying and stretching in her mind. She busied herself making tea, heating hot water in a machine, and choosing a tea bag without noticing the flavor. When she heard footsteps, Sam turned around, half-hoping Teddy had followed her. But it was her twin brother. You better not let Grandma see you with that. I know, I know. A princess drinking tea. It's the end of the monarchy. 
Though America hadn't been at war with Britain for 200 years, everyone still acted as though drinking tea were a deeply unpatriotic act. The palace refused to even serve tea at any of its events, only coffee, which wasn't even grown in America. So yeah, like Anna said, this is the kind of, we want more of this world building action and more of the like culture of America. Yeah, the the palace like has a point of like serving cherry desserts at all of their functions or whatever. Oh yeah, because the, the, yeah, George Washington and his famous cherry tree. Right. Right. And um, I think that they're losing some sort of fundamental thing um, the whole point of America is to not have royals. And so diving in to figure out where we continue to have our rebellious Americanness, and also where we are governed by tradition as a monarchy is, is it's a conflict for me as a reader. That was, that was something that was on my mind through the whole thing. Yeah, and and it is something. I mean, in in real history, there was a point where they debated, like, oh, should should George Washington be a monarch? And then they were like, no. So it, I think, I mean, it's not totally out of the realm of whatever. But then everything that follows, it's, I mean, as stated, it's all just clearly set dressing for the romance. And I get why, you know, royalty is such a quick way to like heighten the stakes of your romance of like oh, now it's not just about me, it's about the whole country, and now here's a sort of decent reason why, like, teens should be pressured to marry, or, like, you know, very young adults should be pressured to marry because of royalty, versus if, you know, if you had that in a any other kind of contemporary way, Roman novel, and like, oh, you know, my dad really wants to get me to get married at 21, you'd... it wouldn't be cool, basically. But again, just set it in a fake country or do all, you know, we're giving you so many good ideas, Catherine (laughs) McGee. (laughs) All right, but let's move on and play some Would You Rather, I guess. (laughs) Would you rather be the heir or the spare? Um, I would absolutely much rather be the spare. I can't handle that level of responsibility. Yeah, same. No one would want to be the... You could still, like, go to the parties and stuff, but you wouldn't be in charge. I always like to be the power behind the throne myself. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I really don't... I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe if you're actually in the situation, you might grow to feel different. But from my perspective, it definitely seems like Samantha's getting a really sweet deal. (laughs) I kind of want to be the heir because I want to run everything. I can totally see the appeal of being able to be a wastrel because you are the spare and because (laughs) um, longevity has really come a long way in the last several hundred years. But I have ideas about fixing everything and taking over without a prince consort. Thank you very much. All right. Well, you've got my vote. Thank you. Which is definitely how it you works. You don't vote for kings. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm not saying it counts for anything. I'm just saying you'd have it. <laughs> Good point. Um, okay, how about, would you rather live under the current administration of the United States or live under the Washington's royal family? Oh. I... <sighs> 
Is there a third choice? <laughs> no, it's, that's why it's called Would You Rather. Well, oh. I guess the third secret choice is Revolution, but... Oh, I think it might be interesting to live under the Washington royal family and fulminate revolution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as pictured in this book anyway, like, they at least seem to take it more seriously, like, their responsibility. Like, they're taking it seriously. They're worried about the fate of their people in a way that I do not believe that our current president is. Yeah, and I think that's what, like, if those are my only two choices, I think that's what la- that lands me under the Washington royal family, is that I don't, like, obviously I don't want to throw away the idea of living under a democracy, but late-stage capitalism and the current administration are not making it very viable to live here right now. So given those two choices, it sounds like it's maybe better there at this exact moment in time. Right. I think our current administration is throwing away the idea of living under democracy. And we are uh, among, in this household, we are anything but the current administration in our hearts in some ways. So, so here we go. Bring back monarchy. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. Worth a try. (laughs) All right. And then um, we will bring back our favorite game inspired by Bill O'Reilly's Killing Books, our round of fucking marrying killing with the Washington royal family. So we have Beatrice, Samantha, and Jefferson. I think I would fucking Beatrice because I don't want to be married to her. She sounds exhausting. Uh, marrying Sam because she at least sounds cool and chill and I feel like that that would work out better and then killing Jefferson who did not outwardly offend me in any way but obviously someone's gotta be the killing so sorry Jefferson I am on board with um, Kate's reasoning and her uh, estimation. So I don't have much to add to it. I think that um, fucking B would do her some good. Yes. (laughs) And I don't say that lightly. I, you know, I mean, I know how terrible that is to to be thinking that about another person in terms of yeah. consent and all of that no, stuff. I know what you're saying. She would she would just lighten up a little bit if she got some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm really conflicted about feeling that way about a character. And I still feel that way. And, you know, Sam would probably be a whole lot of fun. And boy, could we travel and go and see and do and shop and eat and, you know, buy new lip balm. <laughs> and Jeff was just completely uninteresting and useless to me. He didn't even, specifically even offend me. Even though he would me. go to Wawa with you, for you, with you? Yeah, I bet that I could get Sam to go to Wawa with me. That's probably true. By the way, I should mention <laughs> I have never been to a Wawa. <gasps> Renata! Yeah, they're not where I live. They're not where I'm from. I've heard right, about them. Right. We will uh, figure out a way to get you to one. <laughs> we'll put it on our list. All right. I um, we'll, we'll discuss later. Um, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. Um, being 
plagued with heterosexuality. I will be fucking Jeff or son. Um, I will be marrying Sam. I think she is the clear, funnest royal um, for all the reasons stated. And then I will be killing Beatrice, but it's going to be okay because she's got her revere guard. So um, she'll be saved. Your attempt will fail. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Death by revere guard. So I'm going to go in a different, different direction. <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously I'm going to kill Jefferson. Sorry. Jefferson. <laughs> Excuse uh, me. Killing Jefferson. I'm going to be killing Jefferson. I'm going to be fucking Samantha. And because I have a thing for authoritarian ladies, I'm going to be marrying Beatrice. <laughs> <laughs> I did say that I wanted to be the heir. (laughs) So surprising no one who knows me. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, this is all um, adding up nicely. (laughs) Um, Let's let's get to it. Uh, Let's move on to some reader's advisory where we can suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to American Royals. Uh, I'm going to say up front, we have come up with quite a list, so they will... The whole list is going to be up at worstbestsellers.com um, if you want to, you know, get links to them and also see ones that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about. I've already sprinkled the names of a few better books throughout the conversation. Honestly, I don't even think the selection by Kiracast is a better book, but I liked it more. Because, and you know why? Because it's in a fake country. And so I was like, yeah, I don't care about your politics. <laughs> Give me this weird uh, air selection drama. Thank you. Uh, you also mentioned A Princess in Theory, I believe. Um, yep. Or maybe in my head, you just did that. Well, 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 I, I said that Alyssa Cole did it better because hers are in a fake country. Yes. Um, and if you'll recall, we read um, Best Bestseller, A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole in a previous episode. And I have gone on to read the rest of the books in the Reluctant Royal series. And they're all very good. Uh, they are so very, very good. I would recommend those. Um, I think Anna and Aline mentioned Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which I, it's been on my to-read list. I haven't read it, but from what I understand, it's better. We it, adored it. It's I, it's way gayer. Way gayer. <laughs> and I'm, what I'm mostly afraid of is that people wanting more Red, White, and Royal Blue will try picking up American Royals, which is a totally different animal. Yeah. But it's it's really really good and highly recommend. And there's actual sex in it, and there <laughs> I mean, is it, it is an adult book versus a YA book. Yeah, it is. This is true. But there is there's no villain. Nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a it's a good book, and it is in a it's a parallel universe, United States that is has a lady president of. Um, whose ex-husband was brown and kids are thus brown and it's otherwise 21st century America so none of this weird exposition <laughs> nice do you have stuff to add Anna on red white and royal blue no we also co-sign um, your pick of the royal we by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan aka the fuck girls very is there, enjoyable. Is there, there's a sequel coming to that, sequel, right? Sequel, forthcoming, yes. Uh, with the um, younger brother, yes. I think. It, the Royal Week came out several years ago, and it's just a very clear, um, clearly based on William and Kate. 
and I although liked it. she is American, the the love interest. Oh, right, yeah. But but based, you know, they met at school and whatever, whatever. Um, and I like, I, and I to me, I'm not necessarily drawn to royal stories, but I like them. I like their blogs. I checked out their book, and it's a very satisfying romance. And I will read the sequel. So will I. So you mentioned Her Royal Highness by Rachel Hawkins, which is also gayer. And I loved Prince Charming, also by Rachel Hawkins. And they are a... Are they a trilogy yet? The third book is forthcoming. Third book is forthcoming. So those were lots and lots of fun. And they are teen. And so they are the teeniest of um, the choices we've got. And one of the things that I... I threw out Princess Diaries because I feel like it's more fun. It's not as, like, grueling. <laughs> hey, and you know what? Made-up country. Yes, made back to the made-up country. That's absolutely true. And it's, you know, an American ends up being a princess of a made-up country. And from a from the standpoint of the the greater canon of the universe, which we talked a little bit about teens haven't read everything that we have read because we are olds. I was thinking about Regency set historical romances run a long spectrum of spiciness. And there are some really great squeaky clean ones that have a fascinating glimpse into a monarchy society situation that is not in conflict with our own nationalism. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just have a few to mention that are grown-up romances with royalty in them. Um, Lush Money by Angelina Lopez came out this year. It is the prince of a made-up European country. Yay. And a self-made gajillionaire lady who has decided um, she's going to give him the money his country needs to avoid being turned into a theme park if he will um, become the father of her child. (laughs) Um, The uh, lesbian romance, a royal romance, features uh, the heir to the English throne who is Georgina. And she, her father dies, and she is going to be, she's now the king or whatever. Uh, and she uh, falls in love with a royal hating do gooder uh, in a royal romance. So those are adult romances, but um, with a royalty flavor. Um, I'll throw out one more general recommendation. Um, here on Worst Bestsellers, we're often recommending fan fiction in general. Royal AU is like a really popular one for a lot of fandom. So if you if you want some more royalty of hopefully made up countries, I don't know, <laughs> check it out or check out Black Panther. Yeah, another wait for it made up country. <laughs> That's, I hadn't realized. I think I need to revise my moral of the story because I think my real moral of the story is just like make up a country. Just it's not that hard. Just make up a country. Um. Anyway, like I said, we'll have this whole list of our readers' advisory suggestions, as well as our custom guide to getting into fan fiction, up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we will suggest a uh, candy to accompany this book. Maybe, maybe in addition to the wine that you drank while reading it. I don't know your life. <laughs> 
My candy pairing for this is old-timey penny candy, the type of which you may buy at a general store at a uh, colonial reenactment village. Because uh, it's not exciting, but it's fine. Uh, mine would be like a giant caramel apple, the kind where you have to cut it into pieces because it's like too unwieldy to eat it off the stick. And it's... Um, apples because of america but also because it's like so big and you're like oh parts of this are good but it's really uncomfortable to eat and i wish it were something else (laughs) i um recommend reese's peanut butter cups because i always recommend reese's (laughs) peanut butter cups and they look like crowns oh they do look like crowns And I also recommend a trip to Wawa, and I would be happy to go with you and help you curate your selections. Okay. Anna, how about you give your candy pairing, and I would like to then devote, like, two minutes to Wawa, because I do have some questions. I think there's a little bit of time for (laughs) it. So, there is such a thing as a Disney princess candy fan, and the handle is a secret candy compartment, and then... There's a fan, but there's also a Disney princess character on the top. So it's doing too many things at once. <laughs> yeah, And it's brightly colored um, and kind of fascinating. Yeah, that's a really good one. Okay, so is Wawa just, is it a grocery store? Is it a gas station? Like, what it's is it? It's a convenience it's store. It's a convenience store. Okay. So and some it- of them have gas stations and some of them don't. Yep. Yes, and they have um, much like a. If you think of it of it like um, like a, a rest stop almost, where there's like some hot food and some like the conveniency store type places and some coffee stations and prepared foods and things like that, all kind of meshed into one. Is it like a Casey's General Store? Do you guys know Casey's General Store? No. Nope. So here's the absolute best thing about it. You can get sandwiches to order all day long. They do a breakfast hoagie that is my one of my favorite things in the universe. And I do make a home based version. But you order all of these things with all of your elements to your specifications from a touch screen. You do not have to speak to the staff behind the counter and try to convince them that you want extra cheese. You just hit the extra cheese button and it happens and it's glorious. Oh yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, that's, that, that's, that's kind of a new appeal. development. <laughs> and they also have an extraordinary quantity of store branded products. So they have their own milk and chocolate milk and bottled iced tea and their own um, all kinds of things. Plus they have tasty cakes, which are not available everywhere. And they have um, hers brand chips and snack foods as well, which are kind of Pennsylvania based. Okay. And Wawa is regional to what region? Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey. They have them in DC. They have them in Philly. Okay. Okay. Thank you for this uh, Wawa corner. This podcast is not brought to you by Wawa, but I mean, the book was. Yeah, the book was. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if it was you or someone else who there was one time we were staying with my parents and we um, got sandwiches at Quick Check because it's basically the same thing. That doesn't sound familiar. No. Okay. It might have been someone else. Rude. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. I have other friends that I spend time with. I won't mention rude. them what? again. Yeah. Don't 
don't care for this. Let's move on to the rock, paper, snicked. Where, of course, Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if you were in this book. And uh, Anna and Aline will choose which makes the book better or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be some kind of like nanny, maybe some person who was in the life of the three royal kids and Nina from when they were little, who they now think of fondly as a sort of parental figure that could uh, give them guidance and things. May I interject? What if he's the tooth fairy? Like from his movie, <laughs> The Tooth Fairy. <laughs> um, I, I I feel like that that would be more of a you know once in a while when you lose a tooth thing, as opposed to a a constant source of wisdom. But I've never seen that movie, so I can't be sure. Okay, well, carry on. Um. So throughout the book, they would all confide their feelings in him. Um. And as the events of the book would twist into like a giant romantic knot. Uh, He would mediate all their conflicts. So everything would work out as cleanly as it's clearly set up to work out uh, during the course of the book. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, um, as we know from the movie Wolverine origins, Wolverine is very old and despite being Canadian did fight in the American civil war. (laughs) So I think if he were in, in the universe of this book, in the 1800s, I think if they're if they weren't going to do a civil war, I think he would have single handedly instigated the civil war, uh, ended slavery, overthrown the Washingtons, brought democracy to America, and then um, gone back to Canada because he doesn't really need to be a part of the new revol- the new regime. He just, you know, he's pro freedoms. So then this book, um, well, just wouldn't happen because there wouldn't be an American royal family. It would just be about, like, this this girl and her boyfriend at Wawa with, with no royal pressures. <laughs> I mean, so I am, I am very pro this Wolverine uh, instigating the Civil War, but one of my pet peeves in books is where people don't have conversations that they should have. And I feel like The Rock would be there to be like, It seems like your sister is really hurting. It's not really like her to suddenly get a boyfriend that she doesn't seem to like. Maybe you should talk to her (laughs) and things like that. Just to just to smooth things along. Like you guys have been friends your whole life and you're going to fight over this. Or, you know, if you start dating Jefferson, then the public spotlight is going to be on you. (laughs) And I feel like The Rock really has a good big mom energy, like when he's talking up his soccer team. Yep. And Mm, that he would be a very good addition to this particular book. So we are solidly on The Rock here in Rock, Paper, Snicked. Although we are totally here for Wolverine starting wars. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that all sounds fair. Side note, can you believe that they postponed Fast and Furious 9 a full year a full no. year, yeah. Like well, yes. we're all going to be dead, and we deserve to see it. Yeah, people like, are. <laughs> couldn't they figure out some way to be like, if you pay a ticket price, we will beam it directly to your home? Right. What yeah. happened to pay per view? Can it go direct to digital, please? We need this. Yeah. Okay, that's a separate problem. What do we think the moral of this book is? Um, I just kept thinking, along with um, Lord Song Royals, which I couldn't get out of my head. Um, Whatever it is, Jefferson started it from Hamilton. <laughs> this is good. 
I think my moral of the story is that you should really just have one major drama in your family at a time. Otherwise, it's exhausting. I'm going with um, watch out for redheads. They're Mm. evil and dangerous. That's true. (laughs) Speaking of someone with a redheaded brother. Right? (laughs) Um, I I had thought that the moral of the story was ban monarchy, but as you heard halfway through the podcast, I convinced myself that the moral of the story is actually just make up a country. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Just Just make one up. It's fine. Um, okay. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte, who has been so, so quiet, so polite throughout this episode, will now weigh in with his opinions about the book. You know what, Duarte? It is deeply suspicious that the royal family didn't have any pets. Yeah, I would have expected some you know, all-American dog or even, I don't know, a cat that is regal and has, like, a little diamond-studded collar and is, you know, truly in charge of the household. But no, it wasn't. It was very surprising. Just another reason why this book is not as good as The Princess Diaries, Fat Louie forever. (laughs) Um... Also, this reminds me, they make this big point in the book about how no one in the royal family is allowed to have social media, but Sam and Jefferson secretly have social media, and but it's, like, very restricted, and they only have a few friends, like, their actual friends, and then when Sam is talking to King Dad about, like, the letters that he gets, she's like, oh, that's just, like, all the DMs I get. And I was like, do you? Do you get DMs on your extremely lockdown social media? I don't think that you do. <laughs> But if they were allowed to have social media, then they would undoubtedly fill it with pet pictures if they had pets, but they don't. And that's just, um, I don't think Catherine McGee understands social media. Yes. Given her repeated references to blogs. All right. Well, Duarte, thank you as ever for your opinions. Um, Thanks for reading this book. I know it's a little confusing for you because you don't, you don't have to worry about governments because you're so lucky. <laughs> God. All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, I want the Cliff's Notes version of the sequel. Yeah. Same. If yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in September. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll reconvene. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not not really. It was yeah. perfectly adequate. <laughs> yeah yeah if if she had just followed our our few quick tips i think it could have really turned this around if it had been evenly divided into a trilogy set in a fake country just just those tiny little changes <laughs> yep just a few changes wouldn't take that long i don't think um no it definitely would but it would have been worth it <sighs> anyway if you want to talk to us about american royals or whatever um, unlike the Washington Royal family, we are allowed to have social media and we do have it. Um, we have a Facebook, which we are constantly forgetting to update, but it is there and it's facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We are more active on Twitter where we're at worst bestseller with no S. Um, you know, in the alternate universe where we have a Royal family, there is an S there, but of course we live in this current reality where there's no S. So like, don't even talk about it. 
Um, finally, we have a Goodreads group, which is best accessed by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking on the Goodreads link. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the podcast places. You know what they are. It's how you're listening to it now. Um, if you do subscribe, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, then uh, we will be forced to make you delete your social media. So you'll have to come up with like new secret names uh, to reestablish yourself under. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation. Uh, it comes to us to do things like pay for our web hosting, pay our editor, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, administrivia around Worst Bestsellers HQ. And uh, we're going in- to buy diamond. Uh, we're going to buy Duarte that diamond encrusted collar that Kate uh, suggested. <laughs> Oh, excellent. <laughs> I approve baby. this message. He deserves it. In return, uh, there are perks for you, like subscription to a monthly newsletter, uh, postcards, and all sorts of other things. So check it out. We also have merch available. If you go to worstbestsellers.com and click on merch, uh, you can go to our web store where you can find all sorts of worst bestseller adjacent designs so that you can wear our podcast on your body. That makes it sound very appealing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find us mostly on Twitter these days as we we are very inefficient in getting up new episodes. We are at Bellwether Friends, B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R-F-R-N-D-S. We have an S, but we're missing some vowels. Um, You can find me on Twitter as well at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. You can find me on Twitter at Surly Spice, S-U-R-L-Y-S-P-I-C-E. And our next episode will feature Renata whenever we manage to get it edited. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, just take a chance on us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you for the podcast, you guys. (laughs) For the songs we're singing. Um, uh, P.S. If you want just only me on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks, and I, I will be posting photos of Duarte and his diamond encrusted collar <laughs> there. So, <laughs> uh, And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at 14 across. Right. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with a, a book that we picked mostly for the title, and that title is The Fast and the Furriest by Sophie Ryan. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, we'll see you then um anna and elian thank you so much for joining us thanks for having us we had a great time and uh bye bye bye